you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. And joining me today as a special guest host is our producer, Lisa Pruden. Hey, everyone. I'll let you know more about me in just a moment. But first, we want to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation. And we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. That's right. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at Edmonton Community Foundation. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. And on this podcast, we share those stories from where endowments and community intersect. Because it's good to be well endowed. So, Lisa... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, as as you might remember me from other episodes, I help out with this here podcast, which I love. And uh, my other hat here at ECF is I am the executive assistant to our CEO, Martin Garber-Conrad, who you're going to hear from later on in the episode. And uh, just generally, I'm a great big nerd. I really like audio stuff and sharing ideas about stories and philosophy and just being out in the world. It's, it's a big world. It is indeed. And we definitely could not uh, do the show without your wisdom and expertise. That is for sure. Well, thanks so much for stepping in while Elizabeth is away. We've got a big show with a lot of great stories, and we're going to kick things off with the first installment of a special series. Yeah, that's right. ECF is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, and that has us thinking a lot about the history of Edmonton, and the communities we support. So in the spirit of remembering the past, we're teaming up with Chris Chang-Yen Phillips, who you might know as Edmonton's former historian laureate and creator of the award-winning podcast, Let's Find Out. Chris is joining our team this season to create a mini-series to explore some of ECF's more historical connections to the city. He's starting today with the story of our home, Hilltop House. If you've ever visited us at Edmonton Community Foundation, You may have noticed that one half of our office space is located inside a historical mansion. It was built in 1912 by the McDougall family and is tucked away downtown like Harry Potter's Room of Requirement. This hidden gem is a perfect fit for us because we're all about legacy. So we're walking through an emergency exit door. And onto what would have been the original back porch or kitchen porch. The reason I wanted to keep it is because it's got this really cool walk-in ice box. A little bit the worse for wear. Uh, it might be some, uh, I don't know, pigeon droppings or something in there. But uh, it's an old uh, walk-in ice box. And uh, outside there's a little door where the ice man would bring the blocks of ice. We just kind of shored it up a little and uh, uh, kept it here just for uh, to remind us all uh, uh, that there was a time before uh, electricity everywhere and uh, a time when uh, the Iceman was a real thing and not just a meme in a song. <laughs> Hi, my name's Martin Garber Conrad. I'm the CEO of Edmonton Community Foundation, which means that uh, I work for the rest of the group here, and uh, it's quite fun most days. I've been working in this building since we first acquired it and had some interest in the building a few years earlier, so 
I've known Hilltop House for probably at least 15 years, maybe longer. Hilltop House is the headquarters of the Edmonton Community Foundation, and it's an interesting building in a weird place. Today, you have to come down an alley to get to it, and it looks like a new building in an old fancy mansion spliced together, kind of hidden away in a typical downtown street with high-rises and businesses around the block. But this block looked very different when the building was born. Well, the story started north of us on the corner of 103 uh, Street and uh, 100th Avenue. The father of the people for whom this house was built had a large Victorian mansion on right on the corner. And their family had some interest in this whole block. Uh, so both sides of the alley um, for half a block or a block uh, south. And so father's house with, we understand, stables and tennis courts was on the corner. And then this house, which we affectionately call Hilltop House, he built that for his son in about 1912 when his son was getting married. There are still, uh, the McDougall family is still very much in this town, although no longer on this block. We understand that grandma had a frame farmhouse across the alley and that several other relatives lived in. There's still three kind of clinker brick uh, craftsman bungalows across the alley just north of us. So uh, it was not uncommon at that time for a large family to have to be all on the same block in the same area. This area has changed a lot. The father's mansion is gone, and the tennis courts, and the stable. But this house held on. But taking care of an old house, fixing it up and expanding and renovating it, has given the Edmonton Community Foundation something that they just couldn't have in an average office tower. One of the reasons I was interested in the property, aside from the fact that it was very central downtown, was that that I have a real passion for historic buildings in Edmonton and had worked on several over the years in my previous job. And so it seemed quite natural and appropriate for the foundation to be in an historic building because of the way in which we, we deal with legacies Two things have happened as a result of us being here. The first thing that happened was when we just had the house and we started meeting with prospective donors. And we'd be sitting in the dining room and they'd look around and it would remind them of their grandmother's house. And they'd start thinking about their family and talking about the family. And that proved to be an excellent setting for talking about legacy. And so our donor services people, from the minute we moved in here, allocated twice as much time for donor meetings as they did before when they were meeting with them in a faceless corporate boardroom. The, the second thing that happened when we built on is that this weird little space we call the link um, this big glassed-in room we're in right yeah, now with nice yeah. modern wooden beams. So with its unusual com 
combination of heavy timbers, lots of glass, and one whole wall being the outside wall of a 105-year-old house. With stained glass windows. Yeah, yeah. It, this turned out to be a really fine meeting room that people enjoy. It, it really helps having that uh, beautiful historic setting surrounding us with uh, still the whispers of, of a long-term Edmonton family in our space or us in their space. That was Edmonton Community Foundation's CEO, Martin Garber-Conrad. And thanks so much to Chris Chang-Yen Phillips for telling us the story of Hilltop House. Chris will be producing monthly historical stories for us throughout the year as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Edmonton Community Foundation. So what's up next, Andrew? Well, you know Hunter Cardinal? Oh, yeah. He was on the podcast last summer to talk about his role as Hamlet at the Free Will Shakespeare Festival. That's right, he was. Hunter is a graduate of the U of A's Fine Arts Acting Program. He's a regular fixture in Edmonton's theater scene and has performed in plays across Canada and in New York. These days, he hangs his hat as the director of story at Nahewin, where he works with organizations to reinvigorate the spirit of treaty by implementing Indigenous principles into everyday processes and business practices. And for the past few years, Hunter and his sister Jacqueline have been working on a new play called Lake of the Strangers. And now this ambitious project is ready to hit the stage. The play is inspired by a handful of Indigenous myths, and in the interview you're about to hear, we'll chat about those myths, what it means to create new myths, and the incredible community that has come together to produce Lake of the Strangers, which runs January 22nd to February 2nd in the Backstage Theatre at the ATB Financial Arts Barns. Welcome back to the Well Endowed Podcast, Hunter. Uh, we're here to talk about your new play, Lake of the Strangers. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about what the story is. Yeah, so the story um, basically follows this journey of two brothers on their last summer adventure. Now, it's set in 1973 in Sucker Creek, which is in the center of Alberta, right on the shores of Lesser Slave Lake. And uh, what kind of adventure are we talking about here? I'm, I think the best way to describe it is it's like uh, Stand By Me. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think that's the best way to describe it. So um, these, uh, these brothers uh, are nine and six, and they have a, a pretty incredible journey through the forest, um, through not knowing um, to find each other and themselves. Uh, and so where did sort of the inspiration for starting this piece kind of come from? I hear that they're uh, based on some some myths yeah. uh, that you're sort of taking maybe bits and pieces of, or how did that story start to form for you? Yeah, so the story kind of like, it followed a pretty like organic process where we kept on like stumbling into um, different ideas. Um, but the main question that started this story was the question that I was asking myself, uh, which was, how do we heal? And I was asking that coming from, you know, a lot of, uh, I don't know, lived experiences being an Indigenous person. Um, a lot of questions about how can we have the opportunity to acknowledge trauma in a way that is ultimately um, as productive and, and, and really allows us to acknowledge what happened, but also look to the future. Not to discount anything, but to really like... Yeah, just trying to answer that question of like, what do we do? Um, for me, as like an Indigenous artist um, working in the theater, uh, you run into a lot of shows that are all very um, 
I don't know, wrought with grief and loss. Um, and dealing with that is going to be a really interesting and important step for us, not just as Indigenous peoples, but also as Canadians as well. So the characters are nine, nine and ten, yeah. you said. What is that age sort of like for uh, Indigenous folks uh, in Canada? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Like the, I think the story uh, was, or the uh, the age six and nine is like kind of based off of that three year age gap between my sister and I. Okay. Um, so a lot of the um, the the story is actually based off of family stories, um, stories from my dad, stories from from his dad, um, stories from from Jackie and I growing up. Um, so it's been a really interesting process to kind of see what the other was thinking about in certain moments and be like, oh, that's what you thought of me when I did things like that. I'd be like, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> and there were some myths that were sort of uh, a bit of some of the inspiration behind uh, yeah. uh, the story. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, those stories? Yeah, so there's um, primarily two myths that we're using from uh, Nehiao, um astronomy. Um, it's the, the stories that relate to the Big Dipper, um, and the name for that myth is called Mista Musqua. Now, the story of Mista Musqua is um, really fascinating. It, it mainly centers on this giant bear that roams uh, North America. Um, and what's really interesting is this story talks about like how big and strong it was and how it was tearing everything up. But the last time that there was a bear that size... Uh, was during the Pleistocene. So this m myth is almost like a, a living memory of an ice age. Um, right, right. So we're really excited to be using that type of content, but also trying to figure out how we can apply some of the lessons and the teachings within that myth as well, seeing how it can um, inform this story, kind of like how we have a lot of Western Christian Judeo archetypes um, that come in, and how can we use indigenous ones as well? Um, the other myth, um, it comes from the Cree constellation uh, Pakone Kisik, uh, which is the hole in the sky. Um, some other people, it's also called the Pleiades. That story is really fascinating because it's actually, um, to some, uh, Nehiao is our creation story, and it actually starts in the sky. Okay. Um, and there are these light beings, and I believe they're called Kisikuk. Um, and they were traveling the cosmos, um, searching for different experiences, different ways of like looking at the world, new things to learn, perspectives. Um, and it's said that one spirit, Ashakos Isqueo, or star woman, or star bringer of life, came through what we know now as the hole in the sky and came down to our reality. And following her came the spirits of all ancestors. Um, every single like living thing today can trace their, their origins back to Ashakos Esqueo. But they came down with the purpose of basically living and learning as much as you can and then moving on. Yeah, so there's elements of those two myths that we're definitely weaving in and kind of creating like a, a bedrock um, to then base and build a, a, a new narrative off of and create almost like a new myth. 
Right, absolutely. Well, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, this new myth building. Yeah. Um, so you were just mentioning before we flipped the microphone on here that uh, building new Canadian myths is something that you're very interested in. Can you walk us through that a little bit and what, what that actually means? Yeah, so I, I have to back up actually to a conversation that I had um, with a Cree astronomer named Wilfred Buck about two years ago. Um, so Wilfred shared with me this teaching of Misawa, and Misawa is made in reference to all the stories that my ancestors wove into the stars to guide us not only on long journeys, but also morally as well, and remind us of who we dream we can be. So these are myths that basically keep us company on the sweet grass trail, you know, reminding us of the immutable truths of life. But further, he said that those stories, those myths, exist in a sea of other stories that have yet to be created and shared for our time. So... What's exciting is that Misawa is not only all that was or all that is, but it's also all that will be. Right, right. What's really exciting is that, you know, you and I sitting here talking right now, we're continuing that vast and ongoing process of creation. So I was like looking at that idea of like creating and and looking to the future and using um, stories as a way of, of creating something that future generations can use. Um, like I've used uh, The Hole in the Sky or Mr. Musqua in my storytelling. So um, I took that moment as a call to action to try to do my part in leaving something behind for my future relations, just as my ancestors have done for me so that I can, you know, truly take my place in Misawa. So as an actor and a storyteller, um, I was, of course, you know, really fascinated by the very idea of myth making. So I followed that thread and um, I spoke with knowledge keepers and elders to try to find an existing answer or way to make new myths. And um, together with my sister, we wove together um, those teachings into what we call um, the Misoa method. Now, fundamentally, this method conceptualizes the piece of art as a vehicle for the community to travel in together up a spiraling pathway of wakotuin or relationship building. So it's a means to build community and do cultural work together. So how it works is you begin um, with the seed of a truth or like that initial vehicle that I was talking about um, from one individual. And then we basically drive that truth upwards through all levels of interconnectedness. So that's family, that's community, that's your nation, that's all people, that's the natural world and the spirit world. And you bring in more people along um, over time, encouraging that vehicle to evolve as more eyes, hearts, and minds see the intricacies of that initial truth. Ultimately ending, and this is what I get excited about, is um, creating a story that becomes place in the stars through ceremony as a new constellation. Now, in this way, we create a story that speaks to the human condition because it, it once again, resonates on all those different levels um, and has the community that's been a part of that process. Um, and a story like that is owned by everyone. So that's basically the process that we're following. So Lake of the Strangers is that first vehicle to go up the spiraling pathway and through this this journey to becoming a new, not just indigenous myth, but Canadian myth as well. So you say the the story starts with the individual. Mm -hmm. um, who who was the individual at the beginning of this 
uh, of Lake of the Strangers. Uh, that was me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I started, um, you know, I had a very interesting time in Toronto as an actor. I attended the Soul Pepper Academy from 2016 to 2017. Um, I stepped away from that to figure out how I can revitalize myself as an Indigenous person. Um, and at the time, I was starting to like figure out, okay, I need to create something. And my sister was like, you definitely should be creating something at this point in, in your life because it's a very interesting time of, you know, coming back from Toronto, coming back from off-Broadway, you know, coming back to Edmonton to kind of like almost heal in a way, um, but also do some important like personal work and, and personal growth. So this question of like, how do we heal was, was very present for me. Um, and like initially this play started out as like a very angsty um, play. <laughs> right. um, and, uh, and my sister, I, I brought it to my family as a part of this, this method. And, and we were just like, hmm, you know, let's let's see what else is this truth is connected to. And then, you know, we started just exploring and exploring what this myth could be. And we're each adding more and more to it and kind of like really stretching and and seeing, OK, so what is this uh, truth that we're exploring? What does it mean to actually heal um, and exploring all the other truths that that is connected to? Uh, what sort of stage like how, how far up the spiral are you sort of right right now as you're getting ready to present yeah. present the show uh maybe you can tell us about some of the the folks that are involved in the actual uh production uh team yeah so you know one, one thing that's been really interesting is and I, I i heard this for the first time like two years ago maybe but what i've been told is that um Every child is born with their hands closed and tiny fists holding gifts from the creator because at one point someone in your family, someone in your nation or your community was praying for a solution to a problem that they were experiencing. And what I've been told is that the creator heard that prayer and sent you down in response to that. So it's up to us as a community to really like nurture um, that child to, with kindness and generosity, open um, those little fists so that they can, you know, fully be that answer to that prayer. Um, so one of the gifts that, you know, I believe that I've been uh, so blessed with and also have had the incredible privilege, like, like, like there's so much privilege in, in everything that I'm doing, um, but I've had to, I've gotten to have the privilege of having this gift nurtured, um, which is the gift of performance specifically on the stage. Um, so what's been really awesome is like, I've been thinking like, okay, so if, you know, I am trying to find the best way to walk this story up that spiral pathway to becoming a new myth, it makes sense for me to do what I can do best, which is bringing it to the stage. Um, so in true Edmonton fashion, we have uh, Edmonton's most like renowned and elite artist joining me and my sister on this, you know, very specific and intense mission um, of creating a new myth. So uh, we have Ron Jenkins as our director. We have uh, Lauren Cardinal, my uncle, as the um acting coach, which I so desperately need. Um, we also have my sister, Jacqueline Cardinal, as the playwright. 
we have um, our uh, composer. Uh, her name is Sarah Pocklington. Um, we have an incredible production team. Uh, so we have Tessa Stamp, Narda McCarroll. We have Aaron Macri. We have Andrea Murphy. Um, and we also have our um, text and voice coach, Bobby Goddard. Um, as well, uh, we have um, our dramaturge, Ken Williams. Um, so we have a really awesome team that, you know, we're, we're kind of handing this, this play over to them. And, and we're at that stage right now. We're on the third level, which is we're going to be handing it from our family off to the community. What is it like to hand the story over to that community? And what do you think it's going to be like to watch what they bring and add to, um, you know, the, the story and the myth that you're, you're building? Well, one thing that's interesting about this process is the story as it goes up these rungs, you actually kind of give up control and ownership over the story. Um, you're decentralizing it. So I think for me, it's it's exciting to see people who, you know, see this story and, they, and they're just like, you know what? I really remember being a child um, in the woods mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it makes me think about my relationship with my brother or my sibling. Um, so hearing people talk about those uh, and, and increasingly more nuanced um, things that they see is really exciting. But it's also like it's pretty tough, too, because it really reminds you to be like, no, no, no. Like I, we want to be creating this myth. You know, we want to be giving it to people. Um, and that's for me, like something that, you know, I find is so ingrained in how we create theaters is it's um, I think the underlying ethic is. Uh, that that guides it is how can I get approval from this? How can we um, make a, a an incredible show so that we get an award or we sell out or you know it's these um, immediate goals and I think it's really difficult to figure out okay how can we make this last for another ten thousand years? How can we bring in community and make sure that we are following the values that we hold dearly as a community throughout this process? And how can we, you know, make this ultimately a story that has um, an impact on those who may need it the most? You know, those who are at a point in their lives, um, whether it's now or in the future, that are asking um, not only the question, uh, how do you heal, but also why do you heal? What's the point? And really thinking about like, okay, we have a, we have a great opportunity to create something that could help someone in the future. Um, and also through creating this process, you know, we're also providing them the confidence and the ability to use something to make a story for their time if they need it. So how, how do you ensure that the, the story continues to grow and be told? Like, does it go into, is it going to be printed in anthology one day so that people can find it? Or how does, how does it live on? Because theater is, um, you know, it's in the moment, mm-hmm. it's there, and then it, it's kind of gone if someone isn't um, actually producing it, performing it. Yeah. Um, so how does that sort of uh, work in, in your mind when you look at how does it continue to go up the this, this spiral? Yeah, I think um, what's going to be interesting is the different forms that myth could look like. Um, for me, I could see this being something like maybe um, a radio play. Um, I could see this being something that, you know, uh, someone who may have seen this story or who have read it, it could be a short story as well. Um, but they could take out, you know, a certain like skeleton of this story and be able to kind of take it and 
you know, take the parts that they need um, to, to address a specific problem or a specific need um, and be able to tell it to their kids as a bedtime story. Um, so, you know, I think there's a bunch of different ways that this could look, um, but, but I'm not really sure what it's going to look like. I, you know, for me, I'm like, yeah, like a, a radio play would be something that's really accessible. Maybe it could be, you know, the very like streamlined story of the hole in the sky, you know, a couple thousand years from now. Um, or it could be, you know, it, it, once again, it could also be that, that new constellation that we find towards the end of this process. So what is the show going to look like? Uh, yeah. So maybe you could talk a little bit about maybe some wardrobe uh, ideas mm-hmm. that might be floating around uh, and, and lighting design. Yeah. Well, one thing that's really great about this process, too, is when you give over an idea, people just, you know, uh, have like incredible ideas that you couldn't ever think of. Um, so what we're going to be doing, um, at least right now, uh, what we have planned is having this show take place in water. So we're going to have basically like a pool of like three inches of water that I will be acting in. But we're also thinking like, okay, so we got to make sure that this is like um, accurate to the time. So like 1970s. um, So we're thinking, you know, I've been talking to my dad a lot about like, what did you wear? So, (laughs) you know, uh, (laughs) it's actually fairly similar now. So, you know, like jean jacket, you know, blue jeans. Um, maybe even like a light flannel shirt and like, so I've been thinking a lot about costumes lately. Um, <laughs> we're going to try to really, I don't know, lift the show as much as we can and create something that really like resonates with people on like a profound level so that they, they remember it. Um, but we're also really trying to make sure that every single part of this story has a purpose and nothing's there because it's cool. Um, which is tough for me because that's my tendency to be like, we should have this. And why? Because it's cool. Yeah. It's like, oh, it would okay. be sweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be, it would be really sweet. Um, but one of the conversation that we've been having with um, our music composer, um, Sarah Pocklington, is we want to have the soundscape be primarily made up of voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and those voices um, are going to be the ancestors of um, our two characters, um, Henry and Thomas. Um, They're going to be those ancestors that are present with them on this journey. So they serve a purpose um, and they have a direct history. They have names um, and they're a part of this music that's, you know, um, lifting this story as these these, um, brothers go on this journey. So it's a really cool opportunity to kind of reimagine, like, okay, so what is music, you know? And, and that's actually the question that my sister asked me when we were thinking about this. She was like, um, she went full alien uh, because she's never written a play before and, and she's only seen me do theater. She comes from a film background. Um, but she asked, what is the music? And I was like, I've never thought of that before. Um, and then we kind of got to answer that of like, what is music in this story? So the music is almost um, other characters, Entirely. Entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of reminds me of Lord of the Rings and like the elves. Yeah, uh, and the fall of Gandalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, there, there's some, uh, I'll send you the musical inspiration for this and you're like, okay, I understand where this is going. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Um, well, maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, Sarah Pocklington. Yeah. Yeah, she is one third of uh, Asani. Yeah, Asani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asani, yes. Um, so h- how did she come on board? Because uh, that is like... Very cool. Um, and if anybody is not familiar, go check out Asani. And um, it is just 
beautiful, beautiful uh, vocals and and choral it is something that is very exciting when I heard that she was going to be coming on board to give you a hand. So we actually knew Sarah for like, honestly, I grew up listening to Sarah because she's a very close family friend. And what was really funny is that we were watching, my sister and I, this um, documentary about Wakotuin, and I mentioned that before, um, and, and Indigenous people's relationship to water. Um, it was released by um, NCSA like a little while ago. But there was one moment where they were describing Wakotuin as um, a three-dimensional spiral upwards um, that has six arms. And there was this in- incredible ethereal um, music with like multiple harmonies um, and throat singing. And it was like, it was one of those moments where I was so proud to be indigenous um, because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like we're geniuses. Like just, <laughs> just listening to this like um, explanation of this old Cree natural law that we had of relating with people in a dynamic way um, that is thousands of years old and then having this music lifting it. And I remember my sister like absolutely loved it. And, and she was just like, we need uh, someone like that. So we were basically um, talking with Sarah and she was like, oh, okay, so this is kind of what I'm thinking. And I was like, well, here's what we're thinking. We kind of explained like, hey, you know, like the voices and they're the ancestors and like we're looking for someone like, and she was like, oh, well, did you know that I did the music for the NCSA video on Wakotuin and, and our sacred relationship to water? And Jackie are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so it was just like a really interesting set of circumstances that kept on leading to each other. And like, it, it's been really uh, a joy to work with Sarah on this and, uh, and an immense honor too, because she's like, like renowned internationally. Yes, yes. Um, and she's just like going to town on it. And I'm just like, oh yeah. And she's, she was uh, talking to our sound designer last night and our director and, and Jackie and I were just kind of like there as they're these specialists all talking about like, uh, we'll do it in Ableton. Maybe we could do it in surround and like, are you going to send stems? And we have no idea what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> but, and just like getting really excited about like Sarah talking about like, okay, well I can do this and this and this and this. And we're like, great. It's in good hands. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to chat about that maybe we didn't get to? I think one thing that is important is that this story um, is a myth that we are adapting to a staged play. So like the main purpose is to create a myth and how it looks is it'll be a staged play. That's pretty much it. Yeah. This time around. Yeah. This time around. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Well, we do have a studio down here if you ever want to turn it into a radio play. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us, Hunter. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Hunter Cardinal for joining us. I'm really excited to see this show on stage. Lake of the Strangers runs January 22nd to February 2nd in the Backstage Theatre in the ATB Financial Arts Barns. And you can find tickets and more info at tickets.frenchtheatre.ca. We'll also be sure to have the link in our show notes. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And hey, if you have an extra minute, it would be great if you would share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget to follow the Well Endowed podcast on Facebook. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Lisa Pruden. Until Until next time. time.
The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.